The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Whether you like to admit it or not, the most battles we fight originate in our mind. Can I stay here? Not move. So as Paul was well aware of this, and he knew that our hearts and mind must be prepared for battle as much as if not more than our flesh. And he wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, wrote these words, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So clearly, there speaks of a battle that rages on within the mind of the believer. And Paul knew that Satan likes to attack the mind. And if we are to overcome our spiritual attacks, we must be prepared to protect our mind, guard our mind. You see, our behavior begins in our minds. How we think determines how we act. This means if we think unhelpful, selfish, wicked thoughts, then our behavior will certainly be influenced by those thoughts unless they are checked so we will end up doing the wrong things. And Paul wrote to Christians in Rome, in Romans 8, 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live in according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. In other words, if you're living wrong ways, it's more likely because you're thinking the wrong thoughts. You know, they put cigarette packages, have these things as hazards, to your health, maybe hazardous to your health. Well, same thing with thinking. Thinking, hazardous thinking, maybe hazardous to your health. And the Bible says, as man thinks he is, he is at what thoughts he, he thinks. In, in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And Charles Spurgeon wrote these words, God will not live in the parlor of our hearts if we entertain the devil in the cellar of our thoughts. And this morning, I would like to look at some verses that should transform the way you think, your thought life, if you allow them to. And a matter of fact, what we're going to look at is kind of God's psychology. And I want to share what I've learned from the Word of God, five steps or five principles to mental health, the prescription for peace, I call it, for mental peace. We're going to do a checkup from the neck up this morning, find out how do we get our thinkings right, get our minds right, because so many of us need spiritual formula to deal with depression, We need to deal with anger, resentment, self-pity, worry is a big one, fear. So the scripture we're going to look at is not written by some professor or something like that. This is written by Paul. And on top of that, it's written from a prison, a slimy prison. But as you read this book of Philippians, you don't smell prison. You don't smell the dungeon. It sounds like he's in the Hilton. He's in prison. But you open the book, there's no indication of that. The breath of heaven just flows through the book of Philippians. You almost expect them to say at the end, wish you were here with me. Well, what does that have to do with me? Well, you see, there's more than one kind of prison. Iron bars make a prison, but there's other prisons. Some are living in dungeon of despair. Some are behind the walls of resistance, chains of poor health, disappointments, shackles of circumstances, shackles of fear. There's more than one kind of prison. So what Paul has to say here is so incredibly relevant to us today. Now, he's in prison, 
But he decides just because I'm going to be in prison, I'm going to remodel this place. And he does it from the inside out. He says in verse 11, 411, he says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Whatever state I am, I've learned to be content. So what's the prescription for this piece? Let's start reading in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. So step number one, rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Now notice, not just rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice in verses 4 to 5. We're looking at him. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. See, Paul was in prison, but he was not in prison by himself. He was there with the Lord. The Lord was there with him. So we're, one thing, rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Now the second, second, the Lord's at hand is not referring to the second coming in this scripture. And if you have a fine, strong mental attitude, you know biblical mental health, how to say, you should know that the God is with you every moment of every day, of every second. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. We read from Hebrews 13.5. I read this last Sunday. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Doesn't that sound like what Paul is saying to Philippians? Why? Why? Why should be content? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember the promise he gave us in the, of the Holy Spirit in John 14. 16 through 17, it says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the Word cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. He dwells with you, and He will be in you. The Lord is near. How near is He? He's as close as the air I breathe. Now, what we need to learn is also something wonderful, that our problems are his problems. Paul is in jail, and God is there with him. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to earth to get us out of trouble. He came to get in trouble with us. I mean, he says in John 16, 33, says, These things I have spoken to you that in me, meaning he's to be with you, may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, so you will have problems. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He'll never leave you. And I also want to point out the Paul point that he's making here is his joy is continual. His joy is continual. Rejoice in the Lord always. That literally means all the time. So most of us just need to start practicing the presence of the Lord. I had to practice that this morning. I was kind of late because the wind blew over a big old tree in my neighborhood. You can only have one way out, one way in, and, you know, 
I can't get out. <laughs> I got to preach all these thoughts. So thank God for chainsaws. So I said, God, you're with me. Help me lift up this log. <laughs> so, uh, so we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, what I also want you to understand, don't confuse happiness with joy. I think Pastor Malcolm touched on this several times, but they may be cousins, they may be related, but happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness depends on what happens. It's why we call it happiness. If your hap is good, you're happy. If your hap is bad, you're, you're, you're unhappy. Happiness depends on your happenstance, what's happening on that moment. That's why it's called happiness. But it doesn't say be happy always. He says rejoice in the Lord always. So that is to be a continuing, continuing joy. So you see, joy is like a thermostat. Happiness is a thermometer. Joy controls conditions. Happiness registers conditions. You see, the thermometer, if your happiness can go up and down based on what's happening, but you can regulate your life with joy. You can set the thermostat. Joy is not a thermometer. So whatever is going in, regardless in your life, you need to set your thermostat. Now, there's nothing wrong with being happy. <laughs> if you have a chance to be happy, be happy. But also know this, something else is coming. Now look at the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, 17 through 18. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the wines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, so what's happening here is the time of economic depression. There's no cows in the barn. And yet, I love that word yet in verse 18. It says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And friend, if you don't have joy, that's because Jesus is not real to you. So I don't care how sick you may be, what agony, you can still practice the presence of Jesus. He's always there. You can set the thermostat. And, when, you know, when Jesus was facing the cross, he spoke of his joy. He was facing the cross. In Luke 10, 21, it says, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, for the heaven of earth, and you hidden these things from the wise and prudent, relevant for them to the babes, even so the Father, for it seemed good in your sight. So he set the thermostat, not the thermometer. He's going to die. He's going to the cross. But he says, I rejoiced in the Spirit. And he was talking to his disciples in chapter 15 of John. He says, for these things I've spoken to you, that my, my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. In Psalm 1611, you will read these words. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now that's what Paul said. They have locked me up, but they can't lock up Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is at hand. Don't get your joy out of circumstances. Don't get your joy out of amusements, your business, your friends, your health only. These things can give you joy. But don't let them be the ultimate, ultimate source of your joy. Joy in Him is full. Joy in Him is complete. That's the true joy. So rejoice in, in the Lord always. Circumstances change. He never changes. He will never leave you. 
He will never forsake you. So set the Lord before your face. Consider Him, contemplate Him, praise Him, love Him, enjoy Him. Don't rejoice in the circumstances. So if you're to have a good mental attitude, find joy in Jesus, not in circumstances. All right, number two, not only the rejoice in the presence of the Lord, but rely on the power of God. Rely on the power of God. Look with me into chapter 4, verse 6 of Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, what does that mean? It means if you've got a problem, tell God about it. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Don't worry about anything. One of the most damaging emotions that we could have that come to you is worry. Worry will do the same thing to you mentally as sand will do to machinery. It's just going to break you down. There's a few forms of dissipation that hurt your body more than, than worry. You know, sometimes we look at a person and say, oh, that person overeats or he smokes or cigarettes or drinks. You know, that's why his body is falling apart. Well, worry truly will do the same thing to your health. The word worry has the idea of division, idea of being pulled apart. On one side, you have hope. On the other side, you have fear. And you're kind of being pulled in the middle together. Now, Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 27, said this about worry. He said, worry is absolutely useless. He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? I mean, the very, very best thing you can say about worry doesn't do you any good. It's like, a, it's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. That's what worry is like. Behavioral psychologists, I read this, told this about this worry. 40% of what we worry about never happens. 30% has already gone past, and worry can't change it. 12% is needless worry about our health. 10% of the things we worry about are miscellaneous matters that don't even deserve worry. Only 8% of the things that, could, that remain could be counted for worthier worry, if you're a worrier. But out of those 8%, it can be divided into categories. Those you can do something about and those that you can't do anything about. Now, if you can do something about it, do it. But if you can't do anything about it, it's not going to change, and worrying is not going to change it either. Somebody shared these words with me. He said, for every evil under the sun, there is a remedy or there is none. If there be one, try and find it. If there be none, never mind it. Now, that doesn't mean that, well, don't worry. You know, if there's things that you can fix, fix them. If you can't fix it, worrying about them is not going to fix it. If it's going to happen, worry ain't going to change it. And if it's not going to happen, there's no need to worry. Mark Twain said once, he said, I'm an old man and I've known many troubles, most of which never happened. Worry is useless. And Jesus said, sufficient for the day is your own trouble. In Matthew 6.34, we read these words. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry doesn't take the sorrows out of tomorrow. It does not. It takes this joy out of today. Worry pulls clouds over today's sunshine. Worry doesn't help you get ready for tomorrow, because God didn't give you strength for tomorrow yet. As your days are, so your strength shall be. That's Deuteronomy 33, 25. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. You, as your days, so shall your strength be. 
So when you bring tomorrow's troubles into today, you get overloaded. Worry is pretty much interest. You pay on trouble, you know, borrow trouble. When you get to tomorrow, you're not ready for tomorrow. You're, you're already kind of overloaded. You're drained out. Worry is useless, wasteful, and worry is wicked. Some people say, well, you make me feel worse now. You know, how can you tell me not to worry? Everybody's worries. So there's different things about being alarmed about something or worrying about something. So this morning as I was coming to church, I was alarmed. I said, hey, I got to get there. I was not worried, but I was kind of alarmed. So now it also when we worry, he doesn't just say it in cavalier way, don't worry. He tells you exactly what you need to do. Look at verse 6 again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, it doesn't say in some things by prayer. It does not say really big things by prayer. He says in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So to me, that reminds me there's nothing too big nor too small for God to bring into the prayer. The cure for worry is very simple. Prayer. God is there with you. Prayer. He will never leave you. Prayer is the place of power, provision, and peace. If something is big enough to worry you, it's big enough to concern God. So don't get the idea there are some things that are too small to tell God about. Pray about it. There's a story about a missionary who met a lion. And he prayed and asked God for deliverance. And God delivered him from the mouth of the lion. And he praised him and thanked him. And later that night, he went to bed, and there was a mosquito in the room. And it kept him up all night, all night long. And he woke up with dark circles in the morning under his eyes. The Holy Spirit said to him, you asked the Father to deliver you from that lion, but you thought you could handle a mosquito all by yourself. <laughs> you see, now think about it. What does that mean? Well, you know, I need God for big things. Folks, we need God for everything. For everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Some people just say, you know, I don't want to bother him with the, with the uh, little stuff. You know, that really cracks me up. Number one, if the care is too small for you to make into a prayer, then it's too small to be made into a burden. Okay? The tragedy of our day is not an unanswered prayer, but an unoffered prayer. If it's little stuff to him, He's concerned about that. See, worry is an insult to God. That means you don't rely on him. You don't trust him. And I don't know what Bible translation you might be using, but in my translation, it tells us that there are seven days in the week, and it clearly teaches that Christians should not be worried three days of that week. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's what it teaches. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So a lot of kneeling will keep you in good standing. So how can you have a positive mental attitude? We talked about the presence of the Lord. Rely on the power of the God. Don't worry. Bring Him into it. And reflect on the provision of the Lord. When you're asking God to help you, you are to do it with thanksgiving. Look again, if you will, in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And there's that little dynamite parenthetical phrase. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, if you ask God for more and you don't thank him for what he's already done, I doubt your prayer answers are going to be answered like they should. 
There's no higher expression of faith than thanksgiving. And worry is perhaps one of the highest expressions of unbelief. Refuse to worry. Tell God about it. And thank God for what he's already done, for what he's already going to be doing. That's what Paul's encouraging here. He's encouraging the spirit of thanksgiving when he's in a slimy dungeon. Why? Because he is remembering the blessings that he had. Sometimes we just need to get our things in focus. We get our feeling sorry for ourselves to fail to understand how many blessings of God we have. Don't take things for granted. Take things with gratitude. So in Psalm 68, 19, we read these words. You should put it on your dashboard or your car. So every morning when you go to work or wherever you can see this. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation, Selah. Now, Selah means think about it. Take a pause. All the daily loads us with daily benefits. Everything that he's done for you. Lamentations 3, 23 says this. Through the, Lord, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank him. If you're in a dungeon, thank him for your spiritual blessings. You know, I found that unthankful people are mostly unhappy people. They're filled with bitterness, fear, worry, negativism, negative thoughts, selfishness, pity. So if you're in a dungeon or whatever it may be, Thank God for your spiritual blessings. So rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Rely on the power of God. Reflect on the provision of the Lord. And number four, rest in the peace of the Lord. Rest in the peace of the Lord. In Philippians 4, 7, he says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God is there to guard you and to protect you. When Paul was in prison, he was most likely guarded by Roman, uh, Roman guards because Paul was actually a very important prisoner. But Paul looked around and said, I got something better than those guards that are protecting me. I've got the peace of God that is guarding me. That's why the book, when you read it, doesn't sound like it's written in the prison because he has this inner peace. He had the joy of the Lord that gladdened him. He had the peace of God to guard him through Christ Jesus. Again, it's the Christ Jesus who's there in prison with him. What is the peace that he had? It is the peace of God, not peace of circumstances. Biblical peace is not subtraction of your problems in life. It's the addition of power to meet those problems. You don't keep this peace. This keep, peace keeps you. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. You can't get this peace from a pill or a bottle or a syringe, psychiatrist, psychologist, from a friend or a book. You can't get it from a principal. You get it from God. But I want you to understand, you cannot have the peace of God until you know the God of peace. Jesus said to his followers in 1427 of John, Peace I leave with you. What peace? My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's a peace the world cannot give us. It's a peace the world cannot take away. Find your peace in him. Isaiah 26.3 says this, 
you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And friends, you know, peace rules the day when Christ rules your mind. Now, the fifth and final step I want to look at is reflect on the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? Look in verse 8. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You see, you can choose your thoughts just like you choose your friends. We need to understand that we can be selective in what gets into our mind and what we allow to get in our mind. If you allow all this filth, negativity to come into your mind, or you can just say, I don't have time for that. Block it out. Now, how are you going to think the right things? And put it another way, how are you not going to think the wrong things by thinking the right things? You see, God has made us so wonderfully, you can't think two thoughts at the same time. Try it. You can't think two thoughts at the same time. So if you're thinking what you should be thinking, you won't be thinking what you should not be thinking, and that's the cure for stinking thinking. (laughs) And if you think on the right things, things that are true, he's not talking about facts but truths here, things that are honest, honorable, not crooked, things that are pure, things that are lovely. God created so much beauty around us, and we sometimes just walk past it, not even pay attention. I heard a little boy and the pastor went to a Grand Canyon, and the pastor was taking pictures of the phone, sending his text to his wife, and how wonderful it is, and he saw the beauty of God, and how he draw this, you know, the hand of God drew this masterpiece, and so forth, he used all these words to describe what he was seeing, and then the kid texted his mom and said, Mom, today I spit a mile. So we can be surrounded by beauty and not see it. And then he says, whatever things of good report. You can get a bad report and dwell on it. Or you can get a good report. You want good news? Pick up your Bible and read it. Pick it up and read it. And the book of Philippians does not smell like the dungeon. You smell heaven. You smell heaven reading through it. It was written from prison. And he's almost saying, I wish some of you would be here with me. He's in prison. He says, don't feel sorry for me. I've learned whatever state I am to be content. And then he says in Philippians 4, 9, if you do this, you will have the peace of God in your heart. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Now here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. So friends, I know we have a long day, so I'm trying to make it short. What we need to do is train our mind to think properly, biblically. As we read in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, that we should cast down every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against God and bring every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ. That means fill your minds with the things of, things of God. We must fill the, our minds that stimulate, promote spiritual growth. We are more than conquerors in Christ, but we must be willing to engage the enemy in battle instead of opening the door, inviting him in, providing him a place of residence, rent-free. Friends, we must strive daily to conform to the image of Christ. 
Romans 12, 1 through says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is, is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, we live in this information age. We have access to wealth of information, wealth of material, both good and bad, our fingertips. But you have to understand, the enemy continually seeks to fill our minds with filth, the world, distract you, planting seeds of fear, worry, doubt. And it goes without saying, the devil wants your mind. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, we find these words, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The devil wants to capture, control the thought life of the children of God, as well as the unsafe people. The devil knows he can disgrace the testimony of sincere Christians and bring heartache and ruin to your life if he first captures the control center, which is your mind. If the devil gets us to think the wrong things, it's more likely it's easier for him to push us to do the wrong things. The battle within our hearts, our minds will continue to rage as long as we live. It's not going to stop, but we cannot surrender. We cannot surrender in defeat. It's possible to have victory over the enemy. Look at Christ for strength and wisdom. You need to rejoice in him. And in Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Folks, we've got to spend time in prayer on a continual basis. It doesn't matter if it's small things, big things. Take it all to him in prayer. Occupy your mind with spiritual thoughts. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worth praise, he says, think on these things. And what? And the God of peace will be with you. Those are the five pills, as she's called, our prescription of peace. Let's take, let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you laid on my heart to communicate, and there's only peace in you. We must rejoice in your presence, rely on your power, and be thankful for everything you've done with us. Not rely on circumstances and what's going on around us, but find joy in you, which is constant. And knowing that you're always with us, you will never forsake us. That should give us comfort in any situation. And Father, I also ask your blessings for our business meeting and everything that's going to be said and everything that's going to be gone over. I ask for unity, peace, and that you will be, will, will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Get your kids um, from Sunday School or Children's Church, and then we're going to kind of reconvene here in 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Yellow crayon, huh?
Yeah, to get out of your neighborhood, man. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it was awful. I was just like, are you kidding me? Because it's not like in my driveway. It's, you know, it's an entry into the neighborhood, and then people live. It's like no outlet, you know. And it's right where you, the, the road, like the main road for us to get out, big old tree right there. So, and I'm like, are you kidding me? So, yeah. No, it was funny because I was just like, to be mad or like, you know, you're talking about peace today. So, it's just like I start laughing. It's, but that's why I was kind of late today. I was like, man, still made it though. So. All right, brother, let's get ready. I, I will do that, and then I will call you up to, uh, like, I'll open up and, yeah, I'll open up in prayer, kind of. Go over the best part of the presentation. The easiest part. Oh boy. Oh, you got the PowerPoint? I was just going to see. Okay, cool. All right.